0: Welcome, everybody. I'm Haley Halper. I'm in sales and marketing for PostWorks, which is our sound division and technical or PostWorks, which is our picture finishing division. Thanks for coming. This is a subject that is um, important to us and one that we've spent time focusing on because being a post facility that covers everything from dailies all the way through to final sound and everything in between, um, you know, it's something that we're, we're faced with and we have to deal with all the time. So we better do the dailies right so that the sound turnover is easy for us when we get on the mix stage. Um, so I think most of you are familiar with our company, but we are an end-to-end post facility. Um, also one of the last film, full-service film labs in New York, um, a member of the Post Alliance, of course. And um, I think that's it. From, from here, I'll throw you over to Ben Baker, who's our moderator, and um, oh, and also this is our if you haven't figured it out already. This is our theatrical mix stage, available for your next feature. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and we work here with our mixers and also um, freelance mixers, if you wanna bring in your own team. Um, and you can talk to Jay Rubin about that if you have any questions about the, about the mix stage. Um, and take it away, Ben.
1: Thank you, Haley. Uh, Welcome to the first in what we are now calling as the Turnover Series. So this is Turnover to Sound. Uh, We'll also be following this with a Turnover to Picture and a Turnover to Visual visual Effects. My name is Ben Baker. I run the Education Committee at the Post-New York Alliance and uh, am uh, moderating these discussions. Uh, We're recording them for posterity, so by being here you agree to be recorded, or at least you'll have to to be recorded. Um, Some housekeeping, first of all, um, at PostNY is our Twitter handle, so feel free to jump on Twitter right now, take our photo, tell the world how fabulous this seminar was. Uh, And postnewyork.org is the website and also the blog. Uh, All of these events are posted, uh, information about these events are posted there. You can subscribe to that and you can also join the Alliance if you're not a member already. Our speakers today, are, uh, I'd like to introduce um, Ian Bloom, who's worked in feature post-production for 15 years. He's been on such films as Chocolat, Doubt, and The Bourne Legacy. And Alexa Zimmerman has been working in Soundpost for 14 years. Most recently worked as a supervising sat- ed- editor on Julie Taymor's Midsummer Night's Dream, um, a dialogue editor on the series for Boardwalk Empire and Royal Pains, and was an assistant editor on the Fifth date, uh, the fifth Estate and Lee Daniels, the butler. So we're structuring this talk to talk about sound turnover. And so I guess, um, Ian, we'd start with the Dailies process. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about setting up for, you know, um, a new project in Dailies. And what are you really looking for in terms of communication with set, particularly about sound?
2: Um, communication with set is basically You know, I mean, in a general, just to start it off with something completely general, it's, I set up the show first by talking to the editor that I am working for and setting just beyond a shadow of a doubt what are the expectations, how do you like things organized, what do you want to have available, what do you want to carry with you, um, what do you care about, what do you not care about, a lot of them most of them will say less is more i like it simple everything needs to be you know i just want to sit down and cut and i don't want to think about where to find things i don't you know that's that's on us um so communication with set is i guess from a sound perspective just you know making sure that everyone is recording everything at the right frame rate all that stuff is very important obviously um communication with camera department and sound in that regard. Uh, Also finding out, you know, in general, specifically with the sound recordist, what is the, you know, the standard format, how many, you know, in a a typical dialogue scene, what are we expecting to have in terms of mics, characters, booms, you know, what's the rig? Uh, Yeah. So how much material are am I going to be responsible for, either for my editor or for down the line, the sound department. Um, Then setting up what goes to the lab, when it goes, how it goes, when it all arrives, and what is the lab going to do with it based on how I need to work for my editor, and also setting up the seamless
1: transition to finishing the sound. And what are you asking the lab about? I mean, are you asking them to organize the sound in particular ways? um. In,
2: yeah, in general, I mean, it is... if I am working for someone who wants to have everything that exists available with... associated with any given clip, you know, that's a very different request to the lab than working for an editor that will only want to cut with the mix track, for instance. Um, That is a far more simple uh, request. If we get into the former where you know i'm going to be actually you know we are having the lab sync and and carry all of the sound that was recorded then we get into things like naming conventions and you know how important is that and how does that affect everything down the line obviously everything needs to make sense for me but then also translate for when we turn over to sound and there is a very specific way to Either get that right or get that horribly wrong. <laughs> there's many ways to get it horribly wrong, <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, there's many ways to get it wrong. There's only one or two ways to get it
1: right. So, are you? Do you find you're generally um, just taking production sound off dailies? Are they doing um, remaking soundtracks for you? How, what What do you prefer? At the lab? Yeah. Um,
2: no, I mean, in general, it is pretty much my dailies every morning from the lab will be the rawest state of everything you know with the exception of any kind of color correction that has happened sound i they're not touching it i mean they put it in sync and i get it
1: um and and is it the case now that you're then watching every minute of dailies as soon as you get it no off there you don't have that time now (laughs) those days are over um
2: (laughs) i mean in the past actually i mean that is a that's a good segue to talk about My workflow, maybe five or six years ago, was I sunk everything. I got, basically, I just got picture from the lab, and we're talking, they shot 35 millimeter, maybe two cameras if it was like a really crazy day, you know. Um, But for the most part, you know, single camera shoots were the norm. A lot of DPs were more considered more like painters, and they wanted to like compose their one frame and walk away. people called cut occasionally uh, <laughs> um, so you know the it was it was a manageable amount of material to the point where I actually really enjoyed it I, I would sync everything myself that way I knew it was right I knew it was in sync I was responsible for it if something was wrong I knew why I knew where to find it um, and just because I want to be an editor myself it was really very educational for me to watch all the footage you know and and both it was also my job to catch and it still is to catch any technical problems both picture and sound and report them and you know other than the colorist working on stuff the night before uh, I'm kind of the first line of defense for that so there's a lot of you know I'm usually the first person to see the stuff that is associated with the film unless there is a special case, you know, a special allowance made to bring people in to look at
1: things. Yeah. So in the sound department, is the sound department on yet? Are you s- communicating during the dailies process? Um,
2: Ideally, I do have an, a very early conversation with the uh, assistant sound editor or the supervising sound editor just to say, like, um, this is what we're going to do. This is kind of how we like to work. Um that is also a case-by-case case basis. Sometimes that person or that team has not even been decided upon yet, so there really is no one to call. Um, whenever possible, I will have that conversation. It is very important to do it if you can.
1: And what are you looking for? I mean, as Dailies are going through, are you on the job yet? When do you? are you starting? Are you talking with uh, the assistant editors? Uh,
3: generally, I'm not on the job during dailies. Um, if I'm having a conversation with the assistant editor about dailies, it's before I come on and just kind of informal emails back and forth. Maybe a test on my in my spare time. Um, and as for what I'm looking for, I think it depends on how the job is being set up. Um, different different processes work better. Um, but I prefer a process in which the sound that goes through the dailies process is something that I can use that it has time code on it that I can then expand to the other microphones when I get the when I finally do start um, or even that that's the audio that I can use because it has all the metadata still on the files which doesn't always happen and especially as you said the the sound file names they can go horribly wrong and then I look at them and I don't know what's what and I can't find anything and that's kind of the worst situation.
2: There are some mistakes or just kind of human error things that happen either on set or in the lab or even you know afterwards that sometimes you just need to live with them you know like if the file was named incorrectly in camera that mistake then carries through It, it can it can really spread and then you'll hit a point in any process, no matter what you're talking about, whether even if it's like, even if it's not sound related at all, that you're going to have to make a decision whether you're just going to live with that mistake, or you're going to try to fish out all the little mistakes yeah. and try to fix them everywhere. In general, sometimes it's easier to just leave it.
1: So during this time, during the shoot, are you you're organizing sound down to your main drive just as day folders, and you, are you keeping a separate repository as well to, to turn over?
2: Yeah, the uh, <coughs> this is also falling into the umbrella of what are the editor's expectations. Um, if I'm working for someone who wants just a simple one track associated with one clip, that sort of thing, I keep things stashed away for myself, um, especially it comes in handy down the line when the editor approaches the assistant and once, you know, this is usually something that happens before the sound crew starts. It's like, you know, you're expected to clean up a scene or smooth out dialogue or find alternate readings or, wow, you know, this one line is really just useless. They didn't they didn't get it. And it's like, oh, well, let me check the discrete mics. And whether, you know, the editor, if he or she is just working with a mix track, they wouldn't really have access to that, but I would easily know where to get to it if like, okay, turns out we have their mic, this is a much better reading. And are you creating then another track for them? Is that it depends. If if it's just one line, a lot of times he or she will just want me to just cut it into the timeline, into the sequence itself, if it's like I'm gonna use I'm gonna go back to this take three or four times, can you create me a new clip or an additional clip? with this mic associated with it instead yeah. of the mix track. Well, might you
1: chase the scene with that mic? Like, or the whole, the shot rather? It depends on how yeah. much how much they're going to use it. But yeah. So you're going through editorial. then what is the point when you're generally, I mean, the sound crews engage, is it like that sound effects first preview? Is there somewhere before that, that you're starting to to really engage with the sound crew? That's, that's case by
2: case as well. Um, I've worked on films where we would have two or three big screenings before we even over to sound for the first time. Um, a lot of that is the sound crew isn't available, a lot of that is like the filmmakers don't want to stop cutting until an hour before the screening and we are yeah. just gonna go. Um, and that's actually kind of a fun stretch for me because I get to do a lot of sound editing and as an assistant editor that is one way probably the primary way that you can be creative and really contribute to the to the to the film because the editor generally especially if the director is there all day doesn't really have time to do it um so i really enjoy it um a lot of times you know there is a there is a way to do that where that work can carry through almost to the intent the end of the film even after the sound department does start and that and that is kind of you know a nice segue to the proper turnover
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I mean if it's first day of school for you you started for the first day and you call the cutting room what what are you asking them what do you Uh,
3: so I generally have a list that I will send to the picture department when I first start of everything I need where and this list will be everything so I've got the the line script and the AAFs and The picture format that I like to see and all of that all laid out um, so that it's easy for them and also I try to organize it so I say well this is the stuff I need when I first start like a line script. This is the stuff I need for each turnover like the picture and the AAF and the EDLs and stuff like that um, so that it's a little easier for them and they they know okay we don't have to turn over the line script every time which hopefully people will know that anyway but (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I generally try to give that as a list. Um, I would say as a sound person, you should have your own list. Um, I think picture department people probably should also have a similar list so that you can kind of compare, um, you know, in some sound departments, they're like, uh, we just need a turnover. Well, that's kind of broad. What specs do you like to see? And you can keep up communication with the sound department to say, what do you need from us? and get that specificity from them.
1: So for the line script, for example, what are you you doing with that exactly when you you get a line script in?
3: Um, As a dialogue editor, generally, I use it to uh, look for alternates. So let's say there's a scene where they've shot a bajillion angles, but I just need one line, and that was really only covered in four angles. I don't want to have to look through every single take. Mm -hmm. I just want to look through the ones that contain the line that I'm looking for. Um, and also it has script notes that say, oh, well, we didn't actually get that far. Oh, they said something different this time. So that's actually really helpful. Um, it also helps if I'm going through the original production audio and there's stuff missing or there's stuff that I can't quite find. My first step is to look at the paperwork and then maybe go to the picture department and be like, where's this angle? Where, what's going on? and then maybe you've been through the same exact process and you're like, oh, I got it right here. So there's that as well.
2: Yeah, the communication is really important and the expectations, you know, <laughs> if you're dealing with a uh, supervising sound editor or assistant sound editor like Alexa, it's like you don't even really need to worry about it. Like, I definitely trust her to know that she or she understands what is a lot to ask? What is manageable? What do you need? You know, a lot of, some sound departments have this checklist. They'll hit you with it every, for every turnover, you know, and some will be able to use <coughs> discretion about, like, we know the amount of work that is going on. We can read the situation. We do see the time constraints here. What do we really need for this particular turnover versus, like, just, it's got to be everything on this list every time.
1: So for you um, in doing turnover uh, are you cleaning up the tracks of audio so you can deliver like a dialogue music and effects straight over to turnover I, do you do that during the edit is it does it come in one crunch
2: if by if by cleaning up you mean separating yeah separating yeah, yeah. um that is like the primary when you're not making a quick time for picture <laughs> that is the most that is
1: the most involved item on the list, basically, to um, produce. And what is the top tip for keeping that maintained? I mean, is there is, is there a secret, or is it just you have to kind of roll up your sleeves every
2: turnover? Um, really, like, you do it enough, and it becomes, like, you are so familiar with those tracks that it's almost like you know where the stuff is. It, like, you're going through it, it's, like, it's almost like muscle memory. That's um, obviously not like that from the beginning, but you definitely do you agree with your
1: editor like okay tracks one to three we're just gonna keep that to dialogue and the it music doesn't it doesn't matter what i think <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> yes, yes that's uh, right. no it's i mean that is a lot of editors are now getting to the point where they will employ that level of separation on their own but it's also like i'm not a, you know they're in the room with the director he or she wants to see something like Instantly, yeah. it's like that. That line of dialogue might end up on track seven, yeah. Sure. When it could have gone, you know, it's like the quickest way to show them what they want is how what they're going to do, and it's not always going to be like they're not always going to go back and clean it up themselves. Yeah. Um, and there's also like if I presume that they want me to do that, that can be a that can be a time bomb as well. So it's like it it it's a very individual thing. Yeah, um, so sure. for the most part. Uh, you do. I mean, you're not going to get a, ch- a sequence from your editor that is just ready to go to sound. Um, yeah. You are going to have to do some
1: level of separation to be able to turn it over properly. And what else are you doing then? Is it just separation in that preparation for turnover? What else do you need to? Um, what are the other things you encounter? Well, it depends on the list. I mean, it's it's like, for the
2: most part, that is the first step. Um, if you're on a bigger film and you have the luxury of like having an export station, for instance, you can get the picture going somewhere else, and you can start working on this stuff while you're making quick times. There are a million little shortcuts here and there. Um, the list itself is mostly about the the separation, turning over the sequence to the sound department in a way that, you know, they're going to be able to find everything in there very easily. And also, when we're talking about an update for from a sequence that they've already worked on. It's producing what is usually a change list to point them in the direction of the changes so they can conform the work that they've already done to the current cut.
1: So you get first turnover. Um, what is the first kind of thing that you're doing once you you know have the conform there? Or is there, are there stages to do with getting it into your system that you need to undertake first?
3: Uh, well, generally, generally For the effects editors, and for ADR to a lesser extent, it's pretty simple in terms of, I get the stuff from the picture department, it goes straight out to the editors. Um, For dialogue, it's a little bit more of a complicated process because usually they want to see all of the other mics, and it's only been cut with, say, the mix track. Um, So then it becomes a process of, how were the dailies done? How am I going to access those other microphones? and how am I going to do that in a way that works best, that's easiest for the editors and also easiest for me. Um, Pro Tools has a function where it can just expand out to the other tracks, but that only works if the dailies is set up properly and often it expands it out out of sync. So then you kind of have to work with that and say, do I sync that up myself? Do I use another program to do that? so, and it also is a question of, are there scenes that they need to see right away? Do I focus on those and, and pass that out? So, um, and that also goes back to the list of things that I would need from the picture department. If I can use that function in Pro Tools, it cuts down a little bit on the list of things that I need because I wouldn't need EDLs anymore. Well, I wouldn't need-
1: What is the deliverable that allows you to do that?
3: Um, I've seen a couple different workflows. Um. The main thing is often with daily systems. Sometimes the sound files are not named in a in an easy to use way, like they're named after camera rolls or something like that, which is not so helpful to me. Um, but that is by daily system.
2: She means like the system at the lab, like how the sound is
1: ingested and named at the lab.
3: Exactly, yeah. like color front or I don't.
1: Yeah, really OSD or scratch of or any others. Right.
3: Um, and so it's mostly just a question of figuring out how that is done, what we have time for, and then how to deal with it. So if I have time, I will go back to the original production sound roles, and I will name them in a nice, clean way so it's easy for the editors to use. And then I will sync that up manually, but that takes more time. And that depends on how many turnovers are we gonna be getting, that sort of thing. Um, the easiest thing would be if they have all of the other mics in the Avid to use that, but maybe then I'm losing the metadata. I don't get the I don't get the character names on the tracks and stuff like that. Um, and oftentimes, I, if I wanna look for alternates, I need to get scene string outs from the picture department. So that's another thing that would be on the, the initial list if that's how that job is organized. Um, so I have to kind of, process through
1: those things so if you're um a lot of the time we spoke about this earlier um and this might even be before turnover but you might be approaching previews and um there are particular scenes i know for a couple of films i've supervised you know gunshot scenes scenes where there's a lot of kind of pyrotechnic and things going off they probably for the preview want a bit of sweetening so how do you identify to the sound department you need other Library effects and that kind of thing—is that how you generally how that goes? And how do you exchange that information?
2: Well, it depends what part of the process we are in. If we are, you know, if the sound department is on the job and we have already started, you know, they are already working, uh, and we are preparing for a screening or something, we are, you know, well established to ask them to focus on, you know, the effects for this big chase or something yeah. like that and then, you know, they'll just do it. I mean, Alexa can talk about what that actually means, but it's like, um, you know, it's like, I can just request it. If we are in a gray area, which, you know, a lot of films have after production ends, but before the sound department starts, where we are preparing for a screening, and I'm doing all the sound editing, or, you know, the picture editorials doing all the sound editing, we, I mean, in these in these chase chase scenes, I'm referring to. I mean, rarely will they roll sound at all because it's like, yeah, it's kind of pointless. Um, so half the time, they're not even shooting at you know speed. Sometimes it's oh uh, yeah, of course. I yeah. mean, sometimes you know some of this footage is is shot at all the different frame rates anyway, so you really don't have anything to sync up to it. Um, you know, and then it'll be a case of like. Did the production sound recordist record any wild track for you for instance, in the born legacy uh, we had a big nine minute there were a couple of scene with like three or four motorcycles of all different kinds and they didn't roll any sound or if they did it was pretty useless um so where do we go from there? those
1: fight scenes as well must have also been a lot of
2: uh, total totally yeah totally sweetened later um but that's like that's a little easier when you get into like an action sequence uh, with moving vehicles and gunshots in conjunction with dialogue and music um, you're gonna get to a point where you're basically you will have looked up after working for four or five hours and you will have covered maybe 30 seconds of that sequence um, because you are basically starting from scratch Um, the factors that go into that are what kind of motorcycles are these guys on what do i have this audio from production do i chances are you don't um do i have the effects in my personal library to cover this probably not uh hi alexa (laughs) um here's my list and it's like a lot of times if i'm making that call it's because we are not formally turning over to sound yet and i just need I just need a grab bag of stuff and you know there isn't a lot of times you know the screening is tomorrow I just got the sequence Um, I don't have time to turn it over to you you wouldn't have time to do the work anyway Um, the quickest way to get to the finish line is I'll give you a list of sound effects you send them to me and that's you you know there are really cool search engines sound departments have that you know i love having access to myself that you, you just like type in a keyword dirt bike and you get like a bunch of really cool stuff on board the dirt bike fly by dirt bike two or three dirt bikes uh dirt bike skids dirt bike revs dirt bike brakes, dirt bike stalls out it's like and you use all this stuff and it's like you also need to use it in a way that's not going to be repetitive i'm getting into editing now but it's like you know it's all goes into the conversation where you know these are the things i need to ask for and i need to use this language so i don't just get like someone starting a dirt bike and turning it off it's like especially when they don't have the sequence yet they don't know what it looks like they don't know really like so you need to kind of just put it in i mean and they all speak the language it's not you know if i say on board you know but you need to say dirt bike because you might, if you just say motorcycle, you might get a Harley Davidson. Uh, it's like you really need to, there's a, a layer of specificity in there that will get you what you need in the quickest way possible.
1: And then when you're doing those jobs as well, I mean, um, how, how are you kind of uh, uh, dealing with the fast turnover of that kind of thing?
3: Well, if it is before we start, and I just get a list, I'll just try and send as many options as I can. Um, Though probably not too, too many, but you know, just send a few options for each thing so that it gives you the most that you can work with. Um, If we've already started, oftentimes we'll do a quick mix down of what we've got and then we can send that and that'll be, depending on what kind of screening it is, that'll be a stereo mix or maybe even as far as a five one mix that then we'll keep maintaining as the job goes on so we can keep building on that work that we started with.
1: So then, for I mean, another um, aspect of this is ADR, and do you start compiling a list as soon as you start listening to things? Uh, I mean, as soon as the assembly's done. I mean,
2: yeah, and that list will have, you know, there are a million reasons to add something to the list. Uh, the obvious one is technical; it didn't. Out, you know, didn't come through. Um, before, you know, before it officially gets added to the list, you do start. You go, you go in and check. You know, the other mics, especially if the editor is only working with a mix track. Um, there are, you know, there is a running list, generally starting with that, and then as you get further along into the process, you'll get into like story type stuff. Performance. Performance. Both. Performance and like, we actually want them to say something completely different here um, that they didn't do on the day. Yeah, Um, rewrites. So they're yeah, and I've been a part of that, you know, probably more than I care to admit. (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, to the point where like a lot of times before the sound department starts, the editor or the crew will have recorded a lot of this already in our own voices just mm-hmm. to kind of pace it out to see if it fits, to see if it's going to work. Obviously it's going to look really weird. It's like we're photo bombing the movie, but it's like, you know, it's important to kind of set that up at least to make sure that it will get in there in a w- in, the, in the way that you're imagining it. So then when we turn it over, that will come through in our turnover. You'll see like, oh, that's Ian's voice or, you know. Like,
3: Which sometimes stays through to the final mix.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or changes, you know, like, before you're gonna call Russell Crowe in to do this line, you better be sure that this is actually what you want him to say. So, like, we'll try million versions of them of it in our own voice, or occasionally, if it's like a screening for some people, we'll try to hire a sound alike or something. But for the most part, you want to make sure that you're pretty well set before you call an actor in. Um, so
1: you'd be surprised at the things that you will throw against the wall to see if they work. And the dialogue editors making their own list, of course, aren't they? Their own ADR list.
3: Exactly, things that are there for story and additional lines and such. That's going to stay on no matter what. Um, sometimes nowadays, also actors will record stuff on their iPhones. You know, like if director a has lot, a yeah. relationship with the actor, they'll record it on their iPhone or whatever. Um, and it's always helpful for us to have that stuff clearly labeled so we can listen to something and go Is this really Ian? Or is this really Russell Crowe? I can't really tell anymore.
1: <laughs>
3: so Because um, sometimes that stuff does stay also through to the final because the actor's not available But their iPhone was so we got them for that one line um, So also sometimes the technical stuff that they've flagged in the picture department Say there's a scene where it's pouring rain and we were able to clean it up with our own processing. We don't have to have the actors come in for that. So usually it's a pass of they give us their notes, we have our own notes, and maybe try to address some of their notes and then come together for a final list.
1: Are you often discussing alternate takes with the editorial? Like if there's alternate takes that you want to use for particular scenes, do you kind of... Com- communicate with the editorial and say, hey, we think this line is better for these reasons?
3: Yes, though I don't usually address performance in that. Oh, um, sure, sure, yeah. If, if, they've cho- if the picture department has chosen a performance, that's the one they want to go with, and I try to stick as closely to that as possible. Um, but let's say they want to do a line because there's some rustle on some part of it and I can replace that with another take that sounds really similar in the performance, but just in that one, one little part. Then I'll send that off to the picture department. They say, "Oh, this is so much better," and then we don't have to bring in the actor to do the ADR.
2: Yeah, in general, it's you know, it's a last resort if you have something. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of directors will be so set on the performance that happened on the day that you know you will have to try to clean it up at all costs, um, because they will never admit, or you know, they'll never, you know, see that this actor will get there while in an ADR
1: studio to that, the, to that very special place. Certainly <laughs> the big scenes, you know, in yeah. big scenes, it's very hard in a small little two-by-two room <laughs> right. to marshal
2: the Battle of Hastings, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, some actors are really great at it, and some, some just are just completely different. Yeah. You'll never get there.
3: Sorry, this is one minor pet peeve of mine. So if, say, you've turned stuff over to the sound department and they've done a mix on this scene that has lots of rain and it sounds so much better, and so now you put that into the avid because it sounds so much better, it's very important to always keep the original going along however you can. If the editor doesn't want to see it, then The original tracks, you mean? The original production tracks. Um, If the editor doesn't want to see it, unfortunately, that falls to the assistant. But um, it's always very important to us to have that accessible from the picture department.
2: Yeah, and is there, I mean, a lot of times the editor will not want to see that. Um, So you are keeping it stashed somewhere, and what you have stashed is going to be a different cut than the one that the editor was doing. So you weigh as the picture assistant whether you have enough time to at least conform what you had and get it to the sound department in a way that's going to make sense. Or I've always wondered, like, at what point is that cut up enough that it's just like, you're kind of not even really going to use it anymore. I mean, you'll see it in the timeline, in the editor's timeline, like there's very little left of that dialogue cleanup track. It's pretty much gone and it's been replaced by They've gone back to production just because they changed the scene so much that they had to. Um, you know, you do this evaluating before you actually start turning over, and that's kind of like your call, you know. And it's like, do I want? Do I have time to do it? Do I have? You know, do I do I think it's worth it? Do I get to a point where it's like too far gone and it's not worth it, or is it like? Um, is it even possible to do it?
1: So editorial is going on. I mean, no one ever just turns over a locks cut and stops, edit stops cutting, you know, so. Okay, I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing, how are you doing the updates then? How are you updating um, with the new edits? I mean, are there, how do you decide when to update?
2: Um, you know, a lot of times that's based on a deadline uh, of some screening or or some version of the film that they consider to be a version that we're, we're going to present in some way. Um, if it's going to the sound department, it usually means that it's you know at at some point it's going to be a screening or a mix that we're that we're gonna that we're gonna do. Um, and then there's a depending on how long it's been, how many versions we've had going so far, it can get tricky to track that. I mean you sometimes your reels have totally changed. Your scenes are, scenes that were in real one are now in real five. Scenes that are in real five are now opening the film. Um, that's where it gets hairy um, because you need to, A, communicate just that massive relocation of a, of a chunk of the story that lives in a totally different part of the film. You need to communicate that. And then you need to communicate that within that scene that scene itself has changed. So not only is it in a different place, but the cut internally, if we're talking about scene 102, that has changed on its own. Um, And the sound department needs to know all of that um, because they will have already started working on this scene and they don't want to start over. Um, If you just compare reel one from March to reel one in June, you'll see Scene 102 is a new thing, but it's not for them because scene 102 wasn't a new thing when it was in real five. It's just now in real one now. So you need there are ways. So is this a
1: change list that you're giving them? Is this the change list? Yeah, it's but
2: it's what I'm talking to specifically talking about specifically is a, is a rebalance in a way. Right. Um, yes. It's that's how you would handle it. Um, so you know that it's not just comparing real one to real one the real one old to real one new. It's doing so in a way that will communicate what you did to this story. You know, what you did, where the scene lives now. Um, and that adds an extra layer of, of tracking um, and, and turnover. And what and are you for, looking for, Alexa?
3: Well, for that specifically, the ideal thing for me is if someone says, okay, here's how we rearrange the film in blocks and chunks from the old version. And then here's how we actually changed it. So it's two separate steps, because for us, even if you have, because I know the Avid can say, if you say, I want to compare all the reels to all the reels, it will put those rebalances in there. It still says, take this little piece, and then this little piece, and then this little piece, and that can, that's onerous. Whereas it's much easier to say, take this whole huge chunk, and then cut out this and this, and you're done.
2: Yeah, so in a sense, as the picture assistant, you're creating a hybrid reel <coughs> that is actually the old version, but the store, the scene, the location of that scene as it is in your new version, but as it was cut-wise in your old version. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that made any sense at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But So you're comparing apples to apples. The only difference would be scene 102 is now in that reel, or the head of reel two is now at the tail of reel one, whatever the relocation was. Um, So that is a hybrid step for the sound department. So the first thing they would do before conforming to the new actual cut of the film is move that in its old form to the new location. And then they would start
1: the changes. So let's talk about music for a second. Um, I mean, are, are you working with a music editor in this process, when does that person come in? Um, are they part of? They kind of sit between the two teams in a way. Yeah.
2: Um, a lot of times the music editor will start before sound. Um, that's also an individual case, but uh, many times, you know, because we're presenting the film before the sound department starts, music is expected to be in there. A lot of times the editor or the assistants don't have time to do it, nor do we have the library to do it. Um, so they'll bring on a music editor to do a temp score um, and that person ideally is the person that will stay on for the whole job, but not always um, and that uh, you know that stuff is organized just like anything else. Ideally, the editor is working with music on a certain set of tracks and it stays that way and you are not really that's probably the easiest part of your turnover. Um, where it gets a little hairy is like you'll get hybrid versions that went to your music editor that didn't go to your sound editors Um, because the editor broke the cue that was in there and couldn't get couldn't we couldn't fix it on our own with what we had so we kick it to the music editor who is working and they fix it Um, so that version goes to the music editor so then you have your music department working on a different version from your sound department all of this needs to be tracked this is where like a little dry erase board action comes into play <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah so then when you're turning over subsequent versions you know where you're changing people from
1: you know? i mean that's a very important part of it though the dry erase board you joke but it, it is <laughs> very the excel spreadsheet that whatever's telling people which who's got which version i
2: guarantee if you think you can remember this stuff <laughs> You'll hit a certain point in the process where you won't. Um, so either if it's in the Avid or somewhere, you, know, you need to track what version people are on. Because everyone, you're going to hit a point where everyone's working with a different version of the film. And, yeah. and then you're going to turn over the version, or whatever you know, it is for that screening, for instance. And your music editor is working on a much more current version than your sound, did, your sound team was. And you, know, you don't want to waste your time. Because
1: you probably don't have enough anyway, yeah so does the the music editor to give you temp or you're only really receiving composition or is it kind of uh, where, where does that sit with you?
3: Um, it depends if we're having temp mixes. so if we have a, a temp mix and there's a music editor on, um, the music editor will come to the temp mix with the music and they'll kind of superintend those tracks so They'll bring them to the mix, and then once the mix is done, they usually take them back if there were changes in the mix, um, and then update them for the next mix. The next mix, we get rid of the ones we used to have, and they give us all new ones. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: OK, so we've gone through. We're now like you know in the pre-mix, um, mm-hmm. getting ready to mix. What are you doing now? You're, ne- you're nearly done? I mean the di is happening somewhere across town
2: (laughs) but uh i have never worked on a film that wasn't making changes in in the in the pre-mix stage or even during the final mix i that doesn't i don't even know what that means um (laughs) honestly uh and you know there's always like you'll hit a point where like i can't believe this is happening again it's like why do you even say that (laughs) Uh, so it's really not that much different, even though we've started finaling, it's just... It's just iterations, really. Yeah, it's just more tracking, it's more, you know, if anything, the urgency is like a lot higher, um, because they're on the stage and you are... I find myself, you know, calling the stage a lot, or at least having some kind of system in place with, generally with the super, the the first assistant sound editor, to just know where they are in the mix, uh, I would love to be one of these assistants that gets to sit on the mix stage all day, and uh, I don't get to do that. Um,
1: so, and this is the point where reels will have their own version number, right? So you'd Absolutely, be up to yeah. version eighteen of reel one, but version thirty of real two. Sure. I mean, the naming
2: convention is always different for every film, but yeah, it's you're always kind of you know, it's not just one clean like. The whole film is on version eight, yeah um, uh, so you get like decimal points and letters and all kinds of crazy, confusing stuff uh, but that's your job i mean you're you're supposed to keep keep track of that and make sense of it, and it's also you know it's that's why it's important to track where they are in the mix, like if I know that the director and editor came back over the lunch break on the stage and cracked into three reels and they're on on the stage they're on reel six the three reels that they changed are one two and seven i'm going to start my turnover with real seven if they're going in order you know but yeah. that communication needs to be there to see to, so you can prioritize what needs to be done first and get it out
3: um, and it's also helpful from the sound perspective i feel like as a sound assistant I often get like lots of secret knowledge from the picture assistant because they say, oh, they've been changing this stuff and I go, okay, well, I'm not going to tell everybody because not everybody needs to know that one, but, you know, you kind of figure out, okay, what's the workflow going to be and who needs to know this? They're going to record ADR tomorrow to Reel 2 and they just changed it. Okay, we need to know this and get that out to the studios and whatnot.
1: And during the mix then, um, there are versions, versions, you hit upon the final version, then what are you doing to kind of you know the pitch is locked are just about finishing the mix what are the final kind of things that you're you're doing at the end of this project to kind of put a big bow on it <laughs> um,
2: generally if we're you know talking about the mix the final mix um, this is kind of like where screenings start popping up like two or three times a week and it's important to the filmmakers to have the most current version of everything as as much as humanly possible presented in these screenings um, and it's not always possible, but a lot of times it's like you know it depends on what's still happening if if the if the score is you know a lot of times they're still messing with the music. this is a lot of a lot of things that happen on this the mix stage you know. Russell Crowe couldn't come in until like almost the end of the mix. We didn't get his ADR until the end of the mix and now we have a screening and obviously we want that in for the screening and not yeah. like my voice. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um but like that's an example. It's just an example, but it's like, you know, you weigh what needs to what will warrant an update, you know how many screenings are we talking about are they all over the world or are we just talking about a couple of studio executives how close are they to the film how familiar are we, um, how familiar with it are they are these like marketing people that really you know you want to impress them are these actors that are in the film that you don't want them to see a rough product do are we these get, screenings do are they just stereo mixes or are you having to produce so this, is, this is where i'm going with it like so i weigh like whether I need to get someone from the sound department or the sound facility to create something for me or if I already have what I need. Yeah. Right. And and that's where I that's where the communication comes in with with us.
3: Um and oftentimes also uh the visual effects are a big deal. Um uh, yeah. not just for something that's an action movie where often the timing will change. Absolutely. Um internal timing, even though the, the length of the shot is still the same from version to version. Um, or even, uh, I worked on something where they changed the color of somebody's pants and slipped the sync. And so we got the new version, and we were like, why is everything out of sync?
2: Yeah. Um, the sound department is working on effects are completely affected by the visual effects, and that is usually the last thing to come in. Yeah. Um, in the Born Legacy, I keep bringing this up, but it's a great example where, like, there's a whole sequence with a flying a drone flying and that drone is completely cgi and they changed their minds about what that drone was going to be doing so many times that it affected perspective of where this drone is (coughs) and how on screen graphics would be the
1: same like little
2: beeping and all of that kind of stuff or yeah or the position of the 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 aircraft itself like did it oh did it fly by the camera or are we following with it you know that totally affects them um yes winter's Tale. we had a flying horse you know what are those wings doing uh where is where is you know what's happening in the background because that was totally a green screen you know um oh now there's a a car that flies by there the sound definitely needs to know that the ice is breaking what is the timing of those ice cracks because that ice is totally fake too um and like they keep changing their minds about how that needs to look. And then they're already mixing the scene and all of a sudden, instead of like a slow gradual crack in the ice, it just explodes. And when that shows up at the mix, it's like, if no one was ever told about that, that's gonna look kind of silly. So it's constant communication.
1: So as um, you're finished the mix and the film's getting mastered now, Are you wrapping up in terms of putting stuff to archive? Is there stuff that you need to kind of, uh, you know, if it's a studio show, they'll have particular requirements. Are there sound requirements for archive? I'm sure you would have.
3: Uh, Definitely. I mean, usually the way I approach it is the first day of the mix, I'll go to the post supervisor and say, is there a document that says what they need from sound uh, at the end of the mix because different studios have different requirements, different studios like things archived in different ways, Um, different studios have different box sizes they like to use, (laughs) various things, so it's usually best to have it... I find if I say it at the first day of the mix, I'll get it by the time I need it, Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'll be able to say to the facility, hey, when you make these deliverables, these are the things I need, this is how I need it to be named, etc.
1: What is the documentation that you need to provide?
3: It varies. Usually it's just in the document from the studio. Um, And then also there's there's some communication in that as well, because oftentimes I'll get something from the studio and they'll say, "Okay, we need the entire film on mag. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So then, you know, it's just they don't really update their documents very frequently, but they do want something totally different. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I think that now we get more things that say okay we need it on a drive and here's our final name and convention and whatnot but occasionally you'll get something.
1: Are they archiving just the Pro Tools sessions or is it just the the finals? What uh,
3: usually it's uh, the Pro Tools sessions, the original production recordings and it varies from place to place. Sometimes they want to see stems. Um, we're not always making stems at this point, and so sometimes we have to actually... And sometimes we say, we're not making stems, we're just using the elements straight through to the end. And they say, oh, that's what, that's okay. But sometimes they actually do want something frozen as a stem, and we have to create that. Uh, so it really varies.
1: Before we go to the audience, is there anything else that you want to... Uh you want to add to this process that makes it kind of—I mean, what would be the what would be the thing that makes this process easier or harder for you in the last five or seven years? Like, that's changed, and um, it's it's really just
2: it's never really easy because everything has just become easier for the filmmakers, and so it's easier to make changes right up until the screening. It's easier to like, kind of, you know, just have that flexibility i mean we can screen right off of the avid now if we want i mean so a lot of times the flexibility eliminates the sound department altogether but it's like you know it's it's always like in general the easier things get for the creative end a lot of times you're just going to have more to keep track of as the assistant on that on that level Um, and the only other rule that i can really think of is you know just give them whatever they want (laughs) (laughs) you know like it's and within reason communication is no seriously communication is is really like important and you know it's 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 it really helps you to have that set up early on even before people start the job if you have the luxury of knowing who these people are going to be um it will only make your life easier down the road
1: editors call your sound department (laughs) um can i ask if there are questions out in the audience i think we have one uh, behind here
0: just to continue with the with the the narrative of the filmmaking say we're on a feature uh sometimes there's home video extras dvd extras and nobody thought of them until the last week of the mix and sometimes the assistant editor is putting that together correct and maybe turning it over to a sound department who may not work on it right then, but maybe a year later they'll be called upon?
2: Yeah, in general, like, you can't, you're not going to know, they're going to want to lay you off before you're going to know all of the expectations to open those boxes, um, and you want to do that, you know, just have everything in a way that, just have all your ducks in a row to the point where if someone else opens that box, they're going to know where to find it, um, and... Absolutely, deleted scenes apply to that. Um, a lot of times, depending on the film, they won't do a mix. Sometimes they'll do like f- final visual effects and final mix and color correction for them. It's it's really kind of a case by case basis. But a lot of the studio films will do some form of finishing for those.
1: Definitely. Yes. Um, I mostly work
2: as
3: a foley artist and foley editor. I was wondering, how often do you guys uh, get requested to put a uh, like a LUT or some sort of color profile on the footage so that it's easier for it to view instead so of just keeping a log and all that stuff. Like how often do you bring in someone to do that? Or is that just SOP at this point?
2: Um, that is every day. That's like everything on the level that we're talking about. All of everything that was shot goes to a colorist. And they apply the look even before I see it. Um, that. Is a DIT workflow issue it's it's kind of it's more about like you know decisions are made on set a lot of times that there's a way of passing that information to the lab and having that translate all of this is covered in our
1: first uh, uh, podcast uh, on uh, on our podcast we did that uh, last time right I mean generally the picture department is I mean the sound department is getting everything from you which has already been color corrected that's right isn't it
2: Yeah, um, you know, uh, everything I see, for the most part, has been color corrected, sometimes poorly, um, but sometimes the whole idea has changed. Uh, We've added, we've had scenes that needed to be totally reimagined because they now need to happen at a different time of day. Yeah. Or sometimes,
1: wow, now this scene, it's actually snowing in this scene. And often, then there's a point at which the picture will come from the DI to be seen in the mix. In a perfect world, yeah, um, that
2: you don't Mm -hmm. always have that luxury. Sometimes, you know, if they if they won't stop making changes, that will affect uh, how much of final picture will be available at the mix. But yes, in a perfect world, the sound department and filmmakers have the luxury of mixing to final picture, (laughs) and you know, you are sure that that's gonna all be
1: perfect. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, right down the back. Jimmy, Um, to pull a question for both of you, I mean, when you the middle of a turnover or the end of a turnover, I know it's not really your responsibility, but when, when is it, uh, you know, appropriate to tell the editor and director, no, like, no more, you're done. <laughs> I know you don't the want question to was, when it, is it appropriate to tell the editor and director no? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, never
2: my my formal answer my formal answer is never Um, there are ways to communicate the same information without delivering it in that way Um, and I I know for the most part I know who I'm dealing with Um, at this point I've had a relationship with said editor or said director long enough to know what my boundaries are Um, and some of them actually rely on me to deliver that information, and will come out and say, "Hey, we're thinking of doing this, but what are the repercussions?" In big visual effects films, that might be the case, right? Yeah, and that's a great thing, you know. And some editors and directors don't care um, if they're gonna if there's an idea, and they're gonna implement the idea, and we just need to deal with it. Um, Even if it's
1: impossible, almost, almost
2: impossible, but improbable to get done in time for the mix, if it's always possible <laughs> um you know there are things that with enough time and money and you know bleary-eyed sleepless nights it's it's always possible um you know i mean and if if it's impossible generally you have to give the editor or director enough credit to know that it is impossible but for the most part i'm not going to be the first person to say that unless i'm asked to say you know and and frequently I am it's like we're thinking of do like i said we're thinking of doing this but you know how far along are they or how much can they handle and that's definitely a point where i call them you know I, i'll call the stage and say this is happening or sometimes you know i just it, it that's that's a post supervisor thing and i need to just go through the proper channels and say call my post supervisor at that point and say, someone needs to tell them that it's too late and I can't do that. Um, Yeah, it's case by case.
3: And if you are asked those questions, it's always good to be in the habit of saying, I can do that, but it's gonna require overtime. I can do that, but I'm gonna be here all night. I can do that, but the mix is now gonna get delayed. And kind of say, if it's possible, how it's possible.
1: I mean, it's a good point to use the post supervisor as well, because they are That's what they're there for ultimately for sure. responsible for the schedule, <laughs> they're responsible for keeping the show going, and it's not the assistant's job to challenge the director and Absolutely not. to say, no, you can't, or, right. you know, it's, it's your job to kind of keep the show moving,
2: yeah. really. I mean, if I am asked a question, I will answer it um, with the best of my knowledge, but a lot of times it's like, I can say, a lot of times that question is, what would it entail to make this change tonight? Um, and I will answer that. Um, I can't speak for the budget. I can't speak for the approval process of actually getting that done, but I can answer the question honestly if I know it, if I know the answer.
1: Anybody else? Yes, Dan here. Stand
2: here? Uh, technical question. Uh, when delivering EDLs, do you, and you have like 12 tracks of audio? Do you parse out the different elements of each audio and deliver separate EDLs for each thing? It depends what the sound department wants. A lot of times EDLs are just for tracks with production sound, so I don't need to do effects or music. Um, the process of separating out your tracks is something you're going to do anyway, because you part of the turnover process is delivering you know, the isolated dialogue, music, and effects Um, as as different audio files and AAFs and a way of, so you're already doing that work. The generation of the EDLs is just based on whatever whatever they want. Um, A lot of times it is just dialogue, you know, but not always. But if you do have everything in a sequence, you have dialogues, sound effects, music, is making an EDL of all those things something that's even readable? Um, generally, you'd split, it out. You'd, split make, it out. you'd make three. You know, I'd do a, a Dialog EDL, an effects EDL, and a Music EDL if that's what they wanted.
1: Is an EDL the best format, or would you use another? That's a, that's a
2: preference for, for you guys, really. I, I will produce whatever they want. <laughs>
3: um, and generally, we're using the EDLs through a program that parses it. For example, for the Dialog EDLs, uh, I'll use a program that can take that and then reference the original production sound and expand out to it. So a question of readability, I'm not always looking at that as like text.
1: It's not human readable.
3: I mean it is. It it is, but it's not something but there's no that one going through to. with a highlighter. Yeah, there's but there's generally not a need to.
1: And um just to clarify that, are there particular fields that you, you are looking for in that EDL? Like, do you, you want the source file names in the EDL, that kind of thing?
3: Generally, the the information is already in the AVID and I get the EDL and it already references the... Um,
1: the individual tracks.
3: The individual tracks. There are specific things that the program that I use to parse it um, needs to see but generally they're more in the time code range yeah. and it's more that I use that program and I kind of futz with the settings on the program until I get the results that I need. Sure. Then that I ask for a different EDL because generally the EDL that I get is the EDL that I get and I'm not gonna get anything yeah. different. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I mean, in general, like we will have set this pattern up early on and then it's just kind of repeat every time there's a new version. Um, and then the important information is whatever, it's usually sound roll clip name, and, and clip name, sound roll, and time code, just pointing to the original material. Yeah. And um, and the ultimate goal is you don't need to look at this. You import it into your thingy, and the thingy does its thingy. <laughs> and
1: it's like
2: automation. We don't want to get too technical. <laughs> automation is automation is the goal, really. With, with, and it's like anything that makes your life easier, and a lot of times that is the EDL is the key to that. That's really what it's for.
3: And for automation to be the goal, one minor thing is consistency is key. And so if we've set up, you know, those three fields are what we need in the EDL, then that's what we need every time.
1: Save it as a preset. Perfect. (laughs) Yes, question here. Um, In
2: the current situation of changes happening till the very last day on the mix stage, do you think we have lost anything from the era where you couldn't make changes like that? You know, in music recording, there's this idea that you can provide the mixer with a million different tracks, or you can provide them with 16 tracks, um, and there might be some more authenticity to that. So does that carry over to some of the work that you do?
1: It's within my lifetime that people used to put a print on stage and mix to that print.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. I I think that's a philosophical discussion, (laughs) quite in the turnover
2: realm. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, I I'll take a swing. The 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 people I've worked for s- will fall into very different categories of that answer. Um, I've worked for people that just think that and and utilize that flexibility is the key, and we should embrace this. And then I've also worked for people that um, worked with people that uh, think that novels were better when they were written on typewriters, and and I only you know. I, I, edited better, I was a better editor or I was a better director when I had to call the lab for a reprint after I made the change, you know, and I had to really carefully consider every frame before I actually lowered that splicer blade. Um, so it's, you know, you and can make Pay that to di- try to dissolve. Right. You know, pay someone to make it dissolve for you. Absolutely. I mean, and you will find people that will answer that question both ways. Absolutely, uh, for sure.
3: And there's also, at least for music, there's a degree of you need to consider how much time they're going to have with this material. That if you're having the if you're turning something over to the stage and they're going to mix it in an hour, giving them every single instrument separate is not going to be that helpful. Giving them sixteen tracks or giving them some flexibility, so if they say, "Oh, let's lower the high ends," you know, however it would work better with say effects. are often in the same frequency ranges then that would be you know a degree of flexibility that's useful for the stage
1: I know during my um, career I went from the UK back to Australia um, to produce dailies for a really big franchise film 160 million dollar film we produced the first day of dailies. Um, people in LA saw that at nine o'clock in the morning on the first day of dailies. And we're like, how can you give us, you haven't even had the shoot day yet. It's like you're come from forward in time, which lasted one day. And the next day, the guy was like, why aren't the dailies here at 9.30 in the morning? So fascination for how much you're speeding up will last you a single day. And then it's back to where are my dailies? Why, is, why isn't this on time? Yeah. Um, are there any other questions before we uh, wrap up? Yes.
2: I was just hoping you could elaborate on the change the change list, um, noting changes versus rearrangements. Um, I know going to sound you want to um, note each change, but you were saying that it's easier to first let them know that you've made these big rearrangements. Yeah, it's just a it's a, it's the <laughs> process in which you're going to communicate this information. Um, the ch- there are always if you're turning over a new version, there are always you know, changes, um, but if part of those changes include massive restructuring of the story, there's a way in which to go about communicating that the most efficiently, so they're not losing their work and starting over or treating something as new when they've actually already done it. Is that a specific like document or just it's, communication email? And it's it, it was tying in. I think I started to talk about like a hybrid version of yeah. the film of of the real or the film, depending on how global this restructuring is, and that is basically like this in, in between version where you're working with the old cut but just the structure of the new cut, and that is an intermediate step to just show that and then then you compare that to the new cut. So all the pieces are where they fall and then you're communicating the internal changes within them.
3: And the main thing is just asking the sound department what they need. Um, Different people work different ways. I personally don't use change notes. A lot of people use programs that parse the change notes and do the changes automatically and so they wanna see something specific so there are different, different things that different sound departments need and so it's always good to pick up the phone and just call and say How do you guys work? What do you need from us?
1: One last question down the back I
0: know Final Cut Pro is not being used much anymore, but if you have experience with it, and, and, and can you give any guidance to some people who are
1: doing turnovers? question was, Final is Cut. Final Cut any different? Can you give some guidance into a uh, project? I'm sad to say no.
2: I I kinda skipped it. I, I just found myself. I was always working with editors that were on avid. Myself as an editor, I've always used Avid. Um I there was a period of time where it looked like Final Cut was gonna take over or at least become as as widely used and then I think they shot themselves in the foot, but I, I'm not the right person to have that conversation.
1: Alexa, do you notice any difference?
3: Oh there's a huge difference. Um for example, we talked about uh, getting the initial turnover and getting all the sound out of the Avid for Final Cut. That's not really an option. Usually, the way that the f- files are stored in Final Cut, you have like a QuickTime file with the sound on it. So I couldn't. It's it's not a separate file that I can get. Um, when they give us AAFs, uh, they're always embedded. We can't get a link to AAF. Um, I think you can maybe using Automatic Duck, but I'm not entirely sure. So it becomes a much more arduous process, especially in terms of paperwork and changes. I, I don't even know if Automatic Duck does change notes, but doing that process with, with uh, uh, Final Cut is much more difficult. So as a sound person, Final Cut is much,
1: much worse. <laughs> On that note, um, I'd like to thank uh, Postworks for hosting the event, uh, Postworks Technicolor New York. Uh, They've been great. Uh, and yeah, I'd like to thank the Post-New York Alliance. And I'd like to thank our lovely audience who turned up here on a Tuesday night. My name's Ben Baker. Uh, this has been the Post-New York Alliance uh, Turnover to Sound. Thank you very much.